How do you fight an ideology that weaponizes government agencies against people of faith? This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. On yesterday's edition of Truth to Ponder, I spent some time at the beginning of the program talking about how how government-run schools are increasingly becoming indoctrination centers for an ideology and how government wants more time with your children to raise them as the government sees fit. Now, a lot of people will argue and say, Bob, that's just not true. And maybe in some parts of our country that might be true, but it's certainly not true everywhere. If you live in the United States and you are in what is considered a blue state or a very blue city and county, Chances are your educational system has been taken over by a combination of ideologists and bureaucrats that have their own ideas of what your children should believe, regardless of what you and your family believe. This is important to understand. For over 50 years, there has been this ongoing effort to take over education. It didn't happen overnight. As I said yesterday on the program, I can remember teachers that I had from elementary school through junior high school and then high school that were true believers in Jesus Christ, even in a public school setting. They were not ashamed of their faith and they didn't criticize you for yours. They didn't try to tell you that your parents believed in a sky fairy and you need to believe differently. They didn't try to push anything that even had the slightest overtone of Christianity out of the school or the public square. I was probably in the second grade when the Supreme Court ruled the idea of taking prayer out of the public arena. The Madeline Murray O'Hare case. Now, thankfully, through the eighth grade, I was actually in a parochial or a Christian school. So those rules and regulations never impacted me. And in fact, if you were to go around much of the United States, that rule from the Supreme Court, I think an improper ruling, and I'll explain why in a moment, was systematically ignored for quite a long time. But in the big cities, in the places where God was already being marginalized, it occurred faster. Now, when I went to high school in upstate New York, whenever we had our Christmas concert, when you had the school orchestra band and the various choirs, we could sing Christmas carols. Today, you can't. At Easter time, we could sing things like Vivaldi's Gloria or Handel's Messiah and other well-known Christian hymns, and nobody objected. There wasn't an issue in the small town in which I lived in upstate New York. It was a totally different world. But as the years would go by, one little lawsuit at a time, Maybe in a big city, then a medium-sized city, then 
eventually even into much of small town America, the ideological forces that despise Christianity, despise people of faith and what they believe, gradually took over the leadership positions in our schools. And it really started in the 1960s with the counterculture among students. And I'm not talking just about those that protested the Vietnam War. That's actually, to me, a second issue. But it was the, if it feels good, do it generation that graduated from high schools and colleges in the 60s and 70s and up to the 1980s, it started becoming teachers and working their way up to school administration, working their way into government agencies. And they took this ideology with them. And I pointed out in no uncertain terms that that every despot ruler in the world has always sought to control the children because then they can control the next generation to maintain the ideology. Mao Zedong took over the education of all the children in China. And by the time he had had, oh, 10 or 15 years, he was able to turn these students on their parents and grandparents to purge the old ways of thinking out of Chinese society. And millions of people died in the process. The United States is at a tipping point. It's hard to say which side is winning, but I would venture to say the ideologues that hate God are right now increasingly in control, even gradually getting into small-town America. Earlier this summer, in the late spring, I had the opportunity of attending a high school graduation in South Carolina. And I was looking at the list of faculty and where they had gone to college, where they had studied, where they had their degrees. And amazingly, in this one town in South Carolina, a remarkably high number of the faculty of this particular high school had gone to overtly Christian colleges. And it reflects in a number of the students that you meet from that school. But in other parts of the country where I have looked at the faculty roster, you don't see any that come out of an overtly Christian school. They come out of mostly of what I call the woke universities, the one that believe in the social justice warrior syndrome, that we must worship this earth and planet. Climate change will kill us all if we don't do something today. We only have 10 years left, or it's too late. And our children are being told that from the time, not everywhere, but in way too many of our schools, many of our young people are being told we have less than 10 years left, If we don't do something, if we don't do something, the world as we know it will come to an end. This earth will become a, just a ball of fire and we'll all starve. I've been hearing we have 10 years left for over 50 years. In 1970, we didn't do something by 1980, it's over. 
Then by the 1980s, if we didn't do something by 1990, we're doomed. In the 1990s, global warming is going to burn us up alive by the year 2000. By the year 2010, the oceans will consume most of Florida because of, of the rising seas. All of their predictions have one thing in common. They never come true. But increasingly, young people are being indoctrinated to believe that it's upon their shoulders that they must fix this earth. They must worship, literally, this planet. And there are too many of us on the planet to begin with. They're also told that if we keep going at the rate we're going, more people will die of starvation and increasingly live in poverty. I saw an interesting chart the other day that dispels that myth. There are less people in numbers, not just in percentages, in numbers of all things, living in poverty today than 100 or 200 years ago. Vastly more people do not live in abject poverty than in the 1960s worldwide, not just in the United States. So they're being given a lie to start with. And they're told your sky fairy God can't save you. And besides, he's not allowed to be mentioned here. Jerry Nadler made it clear when somebody talked about the Judeo-Christian ethic and what God's law said, he shut him down and says, what God has to say has no bearing in these proceedings. Jerry Nadler hates God. The Democrats booed the name of God at their convention a number of years ago. Increasingly, those that hate God have taken over the Democrat Party. That's why people like Zell Miller, a former Democrat governor from the state of Georgia, wrote a book, A National Party No More. Now it's purely an ideology. Look, there was a time in my lifetime Politicians, and I'm saying in my much younger years, a Harry Truman could sit down and have a nice, pleasant discussion with a Republican. They weren't so angry and hateful of each other that they couldn't even discuss anything without getting viciously angry, calling people names, and spreading lies. There was a time, there was a time, even in my lifetime, that most Democrat congressmen and most Republican congressmen actually had good intentions of trying to do better for our nation. Something happened along the way. The party gradually got taken over. And now we have a Democrat party, and I'm not trying to be purely partisan. I'm saying what they stand for today is not what they stood for 50 or 60 years ago. If they had put on their platform in 1960 when John F. Kennedy ran for president what they believe in today, Kennedy would have never won that election. The American people would never have stood for it. But today they openly promote 
abortion on demand, late-term abortion, even post-birth abortion, should be acceptable. There are 62 genders. If some male wants to walk into a woman's bathroom, good, let them do it. If some guy decides he wants to identify as a woman to join the girls' athletic team so they can get a scholarship in track and field, so be it. The reprobate mind is a very dangerous thing. It's not a laughable thing. A reprobate mind is inherently dangerous, and here's why. As St. Paul makes it clear, a reprobate mind will do things that are unseeming, indecent, immoral, and illogical, but they think they're doing the right thing. Their mind is so deceived, especially among those that are earth worshipers, those that worship the creature or the creation rather than the creator. They deny the creator. They hate him. They don't want to hear about him. And they don't want you raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So systematically over the last five decades, increasingly, increasingly, the school is becoming hostile to people of faith. There are stories every year around Ash Wednesday where somebody goes to their church and they may have ashes imparted on their head before they go to school. And the school says you have to wipe that off because it may trigger somebody. Or separation of church and state. Or it's silly to, to do that. They're made to feel uncomfortable about what they believe and what their families hold sacred. Every desperate leader has wanted to control the children because controlling the children, they get to control the future. And then they use those children to erase the past. That, my friends, is the world in which we live in today, increasingly living in today. I want to talk about what can we do You know, it's one thing I can sit here and say how bad things are, but what is the solution? You know, a lot of radio programs, I can do it just as well as anybody else can identify the problems and get you very hot under the collar, even mad and angry at times with the stupidity that comes out of people in Washington and and many of our state capitals and even local governments like New York City or, or San Francisco. Or Minneapolis, you can go down the list. But how do you fix it? Well, number one, you will never fix it at the ballot box. I'll say that again. You're not going to fix it at the ballot box. You have to change one person's life at a time. You have to reclaim our children and keep them away from those that would do them mental and spiritual harm. That means in some parts of the country, whether it's convenient or not, sending your child to a public school is child abuse because they're going to instill in them some very satanic and evil values that you may not hold. 
You're either going to have to figure how to homeschool your child, do some sacrificial things like do without cable TV or something to help afford putting them into a private school or a Christian school. And I'll tell you something else that's going to really need to be done sooner than later and before they make it illegal or try to anyway. Christians in their churches are going to have to band together and say, you know, if we pool our resources, we could hire a Christian instructor to oversee learning pods and a way to educate our children away from the government indoctrination system. Because, friends, if we don't do that, we will continue to keep losing generation after generation. And every year, more schools go, as they say, woke. Right now, college campuses, public universities, and many of even the private ones, have gone totally insane. You're not even allowed to think conservative thoughts or Christian thoughts. You must be canceled because you're evil, you're dangerous, you're hate speech, you're conspiracy theory, you're extremist. And now we have an administration in Washington, D.C., led by somebody with dementia or some other mental problem being used as a just a puppet. He can't even tie sentences together anymore that make any sense. He can't go off script without falling apart. And some of the strangest and most dangerous people are being put in places of authority. Merrick Garland at the Department of Injustice. And yet these blue states keep churning them out into Congress and the United States Senate and their own state houses. Why? Because they're promised to get free stuff or equity or some such nonsense, which is always what is used. You're told we'll give you all of this stuff and freedom. They do that to eventually make you dependent and then they enslave you. Mao Zedong did it. Adolf Hitler did it. Stalin did it. They all have done it. And they're trying to do it here in the United States. Yesterday I shared a little audio clip that goes way back when with Paul Harvey. If I were the devil, I'm not going to go through it all over again, but I remember reading a parody of it a couple of years ago. Maybe, maybe it was last year, and it was in one of those uh, famous news magazine sites that's been around a long time. And their idea of if I was the devil, I would, you know, in other words, it was totally the opposite. That the real devils were the Christians. The real devils are the conservatives. The real devils are the ones that want to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If we got that, that that's what the devil is to them. Because they don't believe in any of that stuff anyway. They don't believe in what they, they most of them are atheistic or agnostic. And they, they frankly don't really care to hear about religion. They want it silenced. They don't. And there's the other problem. And I'll be talking about that in the second part of the program today. One of the biggest problems, the extreme left, the leftist of this world, 
the reprobates have with Christians is they will talk about what is right and wrong, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to be told that they're living in sin. They don't want to be told something they're doing is wrong. They don't want to be told that abortion is murder. They don't want to be told about sexual immorality. They want it silenced. We need to fight back. Christians have got to stop being Mr. Nice Guy all the time. We need to stand on the promises of God and witness our faith boldly to an ungodly and a God-hating world. We're called to do it. You don't hide your light under a bushel basket. You don't keep it contained inside the four walls of your church, which is what the state wants you to do, and never to inflict your stuff on anybody else. And God forbid your sermon talk about one of these taboo topics on YouTube, it'll get erased and deleted and deplatformed. Do we have a chance to turn the tide? Question I kind of raised yesterday. Can we, can we change any of this? Well, in the long run, probably not. The day is going to come. The Bible has given plenty of prophecy and notice that the days are coming when people are lovers of themselves, no longer lovers of God. They want to hear with itching ears those things they want to hear. Even many churches are no longer Christian at all. Christian in name only, preaching a phony and fake gospel that leads people directly to hell. We can slow it down. We can redeem the time to a point, which is what we've been called to do since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven, to preach that gospel, to live our lives, to do what we can, knowing the day will come when the church will be pushed back underground, when speaking the name of Christ will become a crime. And it will in this country if we don't. It's it's becoming that way in Europe. It's becoming that way In Canada, the coronavirus proved one thing. You can send people to the marijuana store, the liquor store, and a Walmart, but they're afraid to let you go to church. They use the guise of being super spreaders. What they're afraid you're going to spread is the gospel, not the virus. They consider the gospel of Jesus Christ a more dangerous virus than COVID-19. And people like Governor Cuomo in New York, who lives a very immoral life that is, you know, he was raised one way, but he's certainly not living it. And many others, they don't care. They don't want to be told what the Bible says about anything. They just want to do what they want to do, and they want you to be silenced if you oppose what they believe. Look, I'm not going to try to silence Governor Cuomo or his stupid, silly brother on CNN. I don't need to silence them. Let them speak for themselves. But allow us as Christians and people of faith 
and people that want to do the right thing the equal opportunity of expressing our viewpoint as well. Thankfully, there was a little case that came out of Texas where a Christian charity, and their whole purpose is to get people to pray for our government and its leaders and live good and godly lives. The IRS took away their their 501c3 status as a charitable organization. Thankfully, it got overturned because enough noise was made. Maybe it's time that we as Christians start making some noise. Yeah, there'll be some pushback. And yes, we'll be persecuted. And yes, we may even be hated. But Jesus said, you will be hated for my name's sake. It's time to get serious about the things in which we say and claim to believe. Or we make a total mockery of our faith. This is Truth to Ponder. My name is Bob Bierman, if you're just tuning in. We are heard on shortwave radio, and we're heard as a podcast, and we have a satellite channel. I'm going to be doing some work with the music starting sometime the latter part of next week. I'm not happy. We need more fulfilling and encouraging music that ministers to the soul, and I, I just don't feel I've got the right mix, and I like your opinion if you actually get a chance to listen. You can hear... Uh, you can hear what is on the satellite from the website. And I'm going to be needing some help. I'd like to rebuild it as well. Also had a radio station contact me from the state of Utah, making time available. The cost is relatively minimal, and I'm praying about it. Should this program be on conventional radio while it still can? It's on shortwave now on WRMI and KVOH. And it would help me if I know if you're listening on shortwave or as a podcast. And if it is on shortwave, what radio station, time, and frequency? It's a major help. I'm praying about adding shortwave time, not diminishing it. But I want to make sure that I'm on the right times and right frequencies to reach as many people as God will lead to this broadcast. And I hope that you will also share this message with other people as well. I was thinking the other day, I'm looking, while this window for a podcast is open, I'm trying to use some sites. I've got one Christian site. I'm not sure if it's going to work out because of the uploading issues and other things to to get the program to be ready at a certain time is not as easy yet. Maybe there's a way to do it. I'm on Edify. That is working out quite well. People are beginning to listen there. Uh, It's through Anchor, it's on Spotify, it's even iHeartRadio, it's on a lot of places, even iTunes. And as long as the door is open, we're going to be there. Lately, when the program gets to YouTube, somehow people complain, and episode by episode gets deleted. You talk about what I'm talking about today, what is right and what is wrong, YouTube considers that extremist hate speech, and they'll threaten you. They'll just say, well, we have taken this off because of the content. It doesn't meet our community standards. What kind of a sick community do you live in, YouTube? Facebook, Twitter, ad nauseum. When the word of God is considered hate speech, and some of the things that are said on those platforms is acceptable. 
we as Christians use every means we have, but know the day is going to come, and I know it's going to come, that one by one, those platforms are going to magically get shadow banned or just plain out deplatformed and the plug pulled. I know the day will ultimately come. Conventional radio stations, the same thing may or may not happen. Shortwave may be the last vestige we get to keep. And maybe a couple of Christian podcasting sites, unless they made the fatal mistake of relying on Amazon web servers or other companies that could turn against them and throw them off with only day's notice. We'll need a better plan. I need your support to keep this work up and also open the doors, not just for this program, but for others that are like-minded. Would you help? Would you consider a small financial gift to the ministry? Our mailing address is Truth to Ponder. We're at 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. That's our secure box. Number 263, we're in the city of Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, zip code 30537. That address again is 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263, Sky Valley, Georgia, 30537. And you can also support us from the website. And if you're a podcast listener, especially if you're using one of the Anchor FM uh go to Anchor FM and look up the program Truth to Ponder. There are several people now making small monthly uh, contributions from from the podcast site. And there is a small cost for the podcast that we're doing uh, that you know for us to pay every month to keep it going and you know keep the uh, prior programs up. And every little bit helps in keeping our equipment working and everything we need to continue doing this broadcast. Would you keep us in your prayers? My wife and I will be traveling this coming weekend back to our home in Georgia, and then we'll be beginning recording programs again starting on Monday from Georgia again. And I'm looking forward to getting back there this time of the year. It's just very pleasant, and it's also place where it's easy for me to do my study, my prayer, and my research for the program each day. Any thoughts and suggestions you have are always welcome. Please let me know. Right now, we're going to take a break, and we shall return. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Like an ox in a moment. Shalom Aleichem. This is Jonathan Kahn, the nice Jewish boy, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. The word for father in Hebrew is av. Try it. Av. Now let's get deeper. The word av is made up of two of the most basic letters in Hebrew, the aleph and the bet, or our A and our B. They come from those letters. The aleph in Hebrew represents and means an ox. The bet represents and means a house. So what's an av? An av is an ox and a house, or rather the ox of the house. What's a father? An av. A father is the ox 
of the house. He's the strength. He's the ultimate burden bearer. See, an ox is strong and is a great blessing, but the ox has to be careful because oxen are known for their stubbornness as well. So we speak of being stubborn as an ox. Well, so it is with fathers. You know, if you're a father, you're to be the strength of your family, the strength of your wife, the strength of your son or your daughter. And that strength is good, but be careful that your strength doesn't turn into blind stubbornness. Be stubborn for good and let your love be real stubborn, but never be stubborn in anger or in bitterness or stubborn in pride or stubborn in domination. You'll end up like an out of control ox in a house and you'll end up with a broken, wounded house or no house at all. The stubbornness of a father for anger and pride has destroyed millions of houses and families families and lives, but the stubbornness of a father for love and for compassion and godliness and mercy has saved millions of houses and families and lives. Be tender in heart, be willing even to say, I'm sorry, and be strong and stubborn in your love for those who are weaker than you and who need your strength, just as God is in that way, stubborn in love for you. Want more? Ask for the ox and the house. Now, what if I offered you a million dollars? Well, something better than a million dollars, something to help give you a strong and victorious life, a free subscription to Sapphires, Vitamins for Your Spirit, and the incredible Mystery of the Temple Doors, all free, you'll love it. How do you get all this? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it, that's it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You'll be so blessed, but call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. I invite you to join me in the harvest. You don't need a plow, just an open heart and a pen, and you can reach the unreached peoples of the world. Just call now, 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy at box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, and the zip is 07644. It's a nice Jewish boy. It's box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah, Ben Elohim, the Son of God. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Yesterday, as I was finishing up the program for Thursday, my wife sent me a little message. I'm not at home right now where I'm recording. And she said, you know things. And I try not to believe that I do, but she said, it seems like a lot of things you say on this radio program mysteriously come true. Now, listen, I don't make any claim of being any kind of a prophet. I do believe there are times that the Lord lays some wisdom on my heart, and I have been surprised with some of the things that I have felt led to say that somehow come to pass. And I'm sure that many others out there know what I'm talking about. Like I say, I make no claim of any kind of gift of prophecy. But she sent me this little note that said she had seen on the news uh, that they're talking about this new and very strange flu season coming up and and the new vaccine is going to be mrna based well i'm going to have to think about that over the weekend and do some praying and i'm going to get back to you with my thoughts on what they may be trying to do something that we've talked about that maybe they'll try to sneak that vaccine in through the flu vaccine we'll see we'll talk about that monday right now i want to get back to the topic i mentioned before A lot of people don't want to hear the truth of the gospel, and they'll do anything 
to keep from feeling guilty about their sin. A couple of years ago, I think it was back in 2017, so it's four years ago, I preached a message that will talk about that just a little bit. And I think you need to hear this to encourage you in your faith and how to be a bold witness for the cause of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come now to this very unique part of your holy word, open our our eyes to see what you have for us, our ears to hear what you say to us, and our hearts to receive all that you give us. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, interesting story here. Need a little bit of background. I'm not going to give you all the detail, but sometimes a little context on this particular story that we just heard in the gospel is important. Sometimes when we do things that are obviously wrong and we do more wrong things to cover our wrong and additional wrong things to cover that wrong, welcome to our gospel lesson for today. We got to go back a little bit. You remember last week we talked about the disciples being sent out two by two. And they were doing incredible things during that time. If you pick up right after what we had discussed last week, they were told to go out where you received, you stay where you're not, kick off the dust, you move on. Well, in some cases, they were having a lot of success. And the reputation of what they were doing was getting out there. I mean, they were anointing people with oil and they're being healed. There's rumors of people being raised from the dead that are now beginning to spread out around the land. So now you have everybody realizing these disciples that are out doing all this stuff are connected to that crazy man down by the, by the river named John the Baptist. So now you got it. You kind of can put it together. In other words, the, it was one thing to have a crazy man out there by the water going, repent for the Lord is at hand. You know, we could deal with that. But now those that are associated with him are doing great and marvelous things all over the land, and the reputation is preceding them. Here lies the problem. Herod has married a woman who was the wife of another man. And word had gotten back that John the Baptist, a God-fearing man, had pretty well let him know that was not the right thing to be doing. Herod and his how how do you describe the brother-in-law now? No, of the how do you describe well, I said the ex-husband, uh, the, the wife that he's now married to. It gets confusing. They don't really see eye to eye, but they both have this disdain but fear of John the Baptist. Now, Herodias, that's the ex-husband, would have loved to have had John just gone. That would have been easy. Herod, even though he was a king knew about all the stories 
that he had heard. That, you know, John the Baptist may have been one that was already raised from the dead. Because didn't Herodias kill him or something? There's all this confusion going on. So you have to understand, it's a bit of a confusing time. And so Herod knew that John the Baptist is a just man, according to the Scripture. Let's see if I can find it here. See, John had told Herod that it's not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. You can't do that. And Herod, this is verse 20, feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy one. And he observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. You got one guy that's got him in jail, that's Herodias, and you got Herod the king that's kind of afraid of him, but just wants to keep arm's length. These are two powerful men. And the wife has been swapped one to the other. And the mother-in-law is happy that she married up to a king versus just someone that had some authority. That's really what's going on here. This is like a soap opera. You cannot make this stuff up. And it's true. So Herod, now remember, he's afraid of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has already told him what he's doing is wrong. But he doesn't want to get into too much trouble. Herodias, the ex-husband, doesn't like He'd rather have him dead. But he wouldn't do it. And there comes the wife. This is who really is the woman. You know, who wants this thing done? Remember, the mother and the daughter and Herod are under this condemnation of John, who's pointed out their sin. Made it very clear that what you're doing is wrong. Herod just chose to ignore it and knew that he's away in jail anyway, so it's no big deal. I didn't put him there, so I can feel good about myself. And he is having this party for his birthday. Everybody of any power, and you know, this is quite a party. That's what the Bible tries to make clear. On that convenient day is the word they use in the King James, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to all his lords, captains, chief estates, and, and all over Galilee. And when the daughter of, of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, that she sat with him, and the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatever thou wilt, and I'll give it to you. He was just so impressed. In other words, he had a bad enough that he had married somebody else's wife. Now he's trying to make time with this young damsel. I mean, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. King said, I'll give you anything. He's just having a good time. Probably had a few too many to begin with. And this is a big party. And, I'm, and, and I mean, he even says, I'll give you half my kingdom. That's what the Bible says. He said, I'll give you half my kingdom. You know, I think he would have rather have given half of his kingdom to this girl than what he ended up having to give. Because the truth is, what he gave was his soul forever that day. Because I don't see any repentance ever shown after that event. None. Not a bit. 
The damsel danced before him, and he, she asked the mother. Because remember, John has been very critical of some of these individuals. The king, John the Baptist, has been very, you know, he's Mr. Repent. The Lord is at hand out there. You know, we, we understand that. And so now here we are. Now here we are. And the king has, been, has promised to do anything for this girl that just danced. And she makes it clear, and everybody in the room knew what she asked for. It wasn't like he came up and whispered where he could, you know, take it back. No, no I can't do that. No. Public. He just gave his word in front of his captains and every big landowner and every important person around him that, was, that looked up to him as a leader and trusted his word, and he knew he had to keep it. And within, we don't know how long, I'm sure it was a very short time, John the Baptist is dead, and the disciples come to retrieve his body. That's, and, you know, so the price we pay to keep our sin alive is the message today. What price did Herod pay to keep all of his sin alive? Being in a relationship that John had condemned, but he was afraid of John. Then seeing this damsel and being tempted by what she had done and made a promise that he should never have kept. What did his sin cost him? Before it was all over, everything. Everything. See, in the case of John the Baptist, I don't think John the Baptist had any fear of death. He's already in prison as it is. He's like, I'm ready. I've done my job. I've done my part. I made straight the way. And I'm seeing the disciples of, of the guy that I was to be the forerunner for. They're doing everything I've expected. My job is done. So I don't think he cared at that point. But it's interesting, and, and it, 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 I'm thinking this just comes to mind. Did you notice if you look at the Scripture, one of the things that, I, that stood out, Herod feared John. This is verse 20. Knowing he was a just man and holy and Herod observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. That's the, that's the trip up verse here. Notice, even though Herod has been condemned by, well, I don't want to use the word condemned. Let's put it this way. His sin was pointed out by John. You should not be married to her. She's somebody else's wife. Herod still feared him. Herod still listened to him gladly, hoping there's some redemption for him. But when push came to shove, he had his head cut off to make a dancer and her mother happy. There's a old, old Southern Gospel song, and I'm trying to remember exactly how the words go, but... The chorus line is, sin will take you as low as you ever want to go. Sin will take you as low as you ever want to go. There's a bit of truth in that. 
In the case of Herod, he wanted to hear this message. The message sounded good to him. It's one that he wanted to be a participant. But his own pride, his own power, and his own big mouth did him in. Had Herod truly been a man and truly really feared John, when the woman said, I want the head of John the Baptist, he would have gone, that's a price I can't pay. You can have my kingdom. You can have my gold and my money, but that's a price I cannot pay. Instead, he compromised. He compromised his own values. Even the things he was beginning to believe from what he had heard, he was willing to compromise all that to cover his own sin and defeat his own ego. It's one of the problems with the church today. We compromise too easy. We want to make everybody happy. We want to look good to those around us in the world and those in power and authority, those in our social circle. And so quite often, rather than defending what God has told us and live it, we're willing to compromise it and ignore parts of it selectively. Yeah, I know God's word says this, but... But the world will look at me dimly if I don't exactly... We compromise. What did Herod do? He compromised. He knew John's message, but he compromised it anyway to look good to a dancer. Think about that for a second, how easy he compromised. He had fear of John the Baptist. He knew John the Baptist was in jail, but he had the authority to send in an executioner to kill him, and he did to save face among people. If the church is ever going to be truly blessed by God, if we as individuals are going to be in the place that God has called us to be, we have to be like the apostles and their immediate followers. There was never compromise to the world around them. Even if by not compromising it cost them their life. There are people in other lands that are followers of Christ that it would be a lot easier for them if they compromised in their society so they could continue to live. But many will not compromise what they believe. They will not compromise what they have been taught. And some have given their life, lost their family, their homes, and their jobs. Something I don't think most Americans would do today if push came to shove. I'll close on this thought real quick. I saw a Facebook meme. We all know what a meme is on Facebook. That's one of those little cartoon things or whatever, just little slogans. And it was a picture of this 
young gal, I would say like 20-ish. She's got a Bible in her hand, a smile on her face. And if anybody's old enough to remember a Carly Simon song from the early 1970s, You're So Vain, remember that one? The memory goes, you're so vain, you probably think this psalm is about you <laughs> instead of song. The problem is, for many in the faith today, or those that are, quote, in what's called the church today, it's all about them, not about God. What makes me feel good today? If it doesn't make me feel good today, I'll go to somewhere else to make me feel better. I hear that other church got a better band and a better light show, and we feel better there, and we talk more about us. And that's, and that's the compromise. That's the compromise today. It's all about us. The Bible warned that day would come. The Bible warned that as we get to those last times, people will heap teachers unto themselves. The sound doctrine is gone. And we will find anybody to preach what makes us feel good. Some of it out there is very gross error, but some of it's very clever. My wife has pointed it out so well when we think of some of these preachers that I've run across in my life. 90% of God's truth mixed with 10% pure poison. That poison will take over before it's over. I worry about that. We are the remnant church, there's no doubt about it. Next Sunday, I'll be sharing a message at a church in the northern part of the state. And I'm looking forward to that because I, I got to see what the readings were for that particular church. And I'm going, oh, it's one of my favorite sermons, you know, that I, that I have the opportunity to preach. And, I, and how it'll fit there, we'll find out next week. I think it will fit fine, knowing the people. It goes back to we do not compromise. We do not compromise. And beware of the false prophets, teachers, and all the phonies out there that come in. You know, as, as the Bible says, they are like wolves in sheep clothing. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to be able to discern the truth from a fable. Give us ears to hear your word through all the noise of the world and give us hearts to receive the pureness and the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to be your faithful servants. Father, teach us never to compromise, to know that you'll take us through and sustain us. Your way is not always easy. Your way can be very costly, but your way is the only way for our salvation into eternity. You've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. You've promised to meet our need. And Father, I pray that this church will rest upon that, in that knowledge. Trust and obey. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He 
sincerely hope that message was an encouragement to you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and maybe you learned something new about one of those narratives from the scripture that'll help you. But right now, I need something from you. I need your encouragement. I've been doing this radio program now for over 10 months, and there's some days it's, it's hard to do. There's some days that even I feel very discouraged, and it's not easy to come before this microphone. In the background, our family is going through some very difficult times that I'll talk about some other time. And we could use your prayers. Just a lot of things that need need God's intervention. Would you pray for this ministry? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for my family and, and all that God is asking us to do? Right now, I really could use your encouragement. And it would mean more to me, more to me than you'll ever know. You can write us at Truth to Ponder. 21 Berkshire Lane, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263. That's our secure box, number 263. And we're located up in Sky Valley, small little town, Sky Valley, Georgia. And the zip code is 30537. And until Monday, may God bless you, is my prayer. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, Visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.